Hello, and welcome to the Music Teacher Coffee Talk podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm Tanya. We are both elementary music teachers who love to talk shop, preferably over a steaming cup of coffee. This is episode number 96. Today, we will be talking about new beginnings, getting students on the same page. We'll discuss the songs, activities, and sequencing we use with third through sixth graders who have not had a solid foundation of music literacy. We'll also share highs and lows from the beginning of our teaching year, discuss some ideas in our Know Better, Do Better segment. We'll share Work Smarter, Not Harder teacher tip. And in our CODA section, we'll give some specific recommendations of our favorite things we are enjoying in and out of the music room. So grab your beverage of choice and let's get started. So now that we are fully back in, we've been back for three weeks, give or take a few days here and there. Um, We're ready to actually talk about some some for real highs and lows. Yeah, Tanya? Oh, yeah. There's always some for real highs and lows. Um, Just as a little disclaimer or um, explanation of where we're coming from in our district, and Carrie and I are in the same district, uh, we are masked. That's mandatory kindergarten through 12th grade, including teachers. We are not distancing, although I know a lot of us are doing, you know, basically three feet, but that's not an expectation and it's not been something that administrators have like said, this is definitely going to happen. But I know in the lunchroom, they're three feet, but in the music room, of course, I have them placed three feet away. We are doing circles. We are taking hands. We are playing instruments. We are sanitizing all all the time. And I, I think I speak for you as well, Carrie, with all of that, like taking hands, disinfecting circles. Um, and we are both in our own music classrooms. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're not on a cart, but the masking is the big thing as far as COVID expectations in our district. Right. We have had some cases. We're a very large district, uh, but so far I am not at both of my schools that I travel to, um, we haven't had complete cohorts go down. It's it's more of individual students and then close contacts. So they're kind of, um, I want to say contact tracing, kind of sure loose contact tracing. But um, the Department of Health in our county has taken the lead on all of these requirements and expectations. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good, good, good to clarify. Yeah, really business as usual in the music room, except wearing masks, which doesn't prohibit singing, just mask wearing needs to happen. And really the only no-go is recorder for now, which I'm oh, like, yeah. okay. I usually, even if I were to do recorder, I usually don't do it till spring anyways. So I'm totally cool with that. I'm cool with that too. We'll wait and see. And so we're in Colorado and here in Colorado, um, we do not have a high number of cases compared to several other states. But we are not in the clear. It is still COVID times. So we're aware of all of this. So anyway, all of that up front. Okay. Shall we talk about our highs and lows? Yeah. You want to go first? Sure. I was going to just mention, this is like a a general high and like, I don't know, as in your teaching career, do you have these moments of ahas that you've had before? Because I do all the time. All the time. All the time. Well, so because of COVID, we are not as familiar with making circles. And I'm thinking specifically about second graders. So second graders, when we first went down and had to do everything online, these kiddos were halfway, two thirds of the way through their first grade year. 
Oh, sorry. Kindergarten kindergarten year. Kindergarten year. Yeah. And then their first grade year was pretty much no contact. So very funky. Now they're second graders. And my mind, my teacher brain usually is like second grade. We can do these things. Make a circle, connect hands, solo sing, blah, 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 blah. Not so. And we'll be talking a lot about this in our main theme about getting kids on the same page. But something that I um, refamiliarized myself with, with, with my aha moment was when making a circle, especially if you're asking them to get into partners, that doesn't happen automatically. Mm-hmm. And experience is the best teacher. So the first time we were playing this, this game, Ickle Ockle Blue Bottle, which requires you have partner. And the kids are walking with their partner in a double circle, which is not, that's not your very first circle making um, experience, right? (laughs) But they haven't had these other ones. So when we talk about scaffolding and like, you know, as a younger teacher, I remember several things that I would do and they would bomb and I'd be like, well, that doesn't work. I'm done. It's all about how you can break it down though. And so something I rediscovered is that, okay, if, if the main objective is that we have a partner, because the song says so, if you want a partner, please choose me at the end of the song. And then they go and find another partner. If, if that's the main thing that I want them to be doing physically, um, why do we have to be in a circle? So I first modeled okay, here is what it is when you get a partner, you and your person stand next to each other and I have them put their hands on each other's shoulders to show that they're partners. You standing next to somebody does not necessarily mean you're partners. Uh, you, you could be just milling around. We know your partners when your hand is on your partner's shoulder and their hand is on your shoulder, right? So the first time, the first couple of times that we did this, I just put them in or asked them to go to partners And then we roamed around the room like a scatter formation. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the first day that we did a Galaco Blue Bottle. And then the next day, it was pretty easy to go, okay, now you have your partner. You and your partner be next to each other. Now we're in a circle. Ooh, now the shorter person is going to step inside. And now we all face this way. Mm -hmm. And it takes a lot. It takes a little bit longer than what I just said. Well, sure. But like this whole idea of like scaffolding things that you want to happen that might bomb think about how can you break it down even more than you're used to so that was a big success because um you know it was at first not going so well and i went um well yeah let's (laughs) just take away the circle yeah that's yeah so that was kind of like a high for me and a rediscovery of like oh yeah that's right i know how to teach you know (laughs) one of those things i I what about that yeah what about you carrie well, um, there are plenty of highs, but I'm going to go low because, you know, we all need to 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 hear each other's stories of woe <laughs> and relate. Um, Tanya got a little earful of this yesterday because we, we had a pool day, Tanya and I, and our families. So Tanya's already heard a little bit about this, but um, yeah. I, I need to talk about some sixth grade shenanigans. So at one of my <laughs> schools, I do still have sixth graders. And, you know, when I first started at that school, I was really terrified of teaching sixth grade. Guess what? It's basically like at my other schools where fifth graders are the oldest school. Now sixth graders are that. It's like whoever's the oldest is just going to to pull their weight in whatever way they want to pull it. Now, yes, there's some added challenges of some hormonal things going on and kids who just are probably ready to be in a middle school setting, but then you throw COVID into the mix and all the things that came with it. Okay, and also let me say that 
this particular class, you know, I was going to do the numbers before we sat down and I forgot. I want to say a third of them, if not maybe approaching half of them, are new to our school. Therefore, wow. new to me. That's so, I mean, it's a lot going on, right? And um, the amount of kids who are on IEPs, the amount of kids who are receiving mental health services, this, this is a, a, what one would call a highly impacted class, okay? <laughs> um, so, yeah, getting everyone on the same page, which is the theme of our, our podcast today, um, has been a challenge with this group of kids because some kids are all in and we have kids who are just resisting the fact that I have to get up and come to school every day again. Ugh, no, I don't want to. And this isn't just me. This is throughout the whole school. We have kids spending a lot of times wandering the halls and eloping from the classroom. Add to this, we have a new principal this year. And, um, you know, I have to say so far, I'm, I'm pleased with, with some of the things that are coming around because my school has always really been big into, not always been, but basically since I've been there, not because of me, just serendipitously, um, restorative practices and really trying to embrace restorative practices, but also making sure our students understand that there, there are expectations and we hold you at, within high expectations. So these kiddos um, who decided, let's see, it was Thursday, so it was my fourth day with them because in our rotation, we see the same kids every day for a week. So by Thursday, they were kind of over me. And um, their, their, um, their ability, what's the word I'm looking for? What's the word that like your ability to keep doing something when you're tired? Why can't I think of this word? Stamina? Stamina. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Their endurance and stamina is not there after many of them just being online and unfortunately not engaged online. Okay. So the point is I had like six kids literally lying on the floor by halfway through music class and some of them choosing to lie on the floor and just need some space and fine, but then some of them lying on the floor and then now trying to distract and sabotage the rest of the kids who were trying to be engaged in the activity. And this is the point where I had to call for support office principal came and got them all this to say he decided <laughs> without really talking to me first that well the kids who were not engaged and on top of that trying to you know deliberately disrupt and sabotage the rest of the class well they needed to do some after school time to make up the work that they didn't do in class and honestly I'm all for that it's like a natural consequence thing right so he called the parents and they were on board and then he came to me and said oh hey can these kids hang with you after school can they make up their their stuff they did and I said yeah and I said you know to be fair what the activity we were doing will probably not take more than five minutes so can we spend the rest of this time having a restorative conversation absolutely yes that's what you should do so Thursday afternoon I had some sixth grade guests in my room and we went over the cup game which is what we were trying to do in class that they were not engaged in they were all able to do it successfully and then the rest of the time we spent having you know, a restorative conversation. And I just kind of asked them, what did you need? What were you struggling with? How can I help you next time? Is there anything I could do better to support you? And then, of course, the conversation became, what can you do better next time? How can you support us as a class of musicians? And guess what? The next day, no problems. No problems. 
I wouldn't say they were 100% gung-ho, but, um, you know, they they participated. Some of them actually seemed to have fun. And so, yeah, I mean, it was a low in the fact that, like, you know, week one, you don't want to have kids in, quote-unquote, detention after school. Um, but I think the, the turning it around point was the fact that it wasn't so much about the do and the time. It was about having the restorative conversation and continuing to try to build relationships with those kids. Um, so, yeah, we'll see how it goes the next time I see them, which won't be for a couple of weeks, but it's, it's going to be a challenge with that class. And I just need to keep remembering that community and relationships are the key. Totally. Yes. And so now it's time to talk about our main theme, which is older beginners. But we really wanted to clarify exactly what we're talking about when we mention older beginners. So we're talking about third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade, if you have those guys too, those kiddos. Mm -hmm. Um, But not just in the realm of music literacy, because of course that is something that we want to get on the same page with, but also we're trying to cover, like, if you are the new teacher in a school. Um, so my traveling school, even though I was at the same school last year, I only have like probably less than 10 students who I am now teaching this year who I taught last year. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, I've got, you know, kindergarten through fifth grade, um, one class of each grade level of kids that I don't know, they don't know me. And so we're also talking about, okay, so here it is, this is Miss Lejeune's music room. And what are the expectations? What are the guidelines? Where, what kind of community is this? And so we really want to also drive home that it's not just about music literacy. It's also about um, in a new year, what can kids ex- expect from you? And are you going to let them in on what that is? And how are you going to do that, right? How are you going to make clear that this is what we do? This is what we don't do. This is how we explore music um, and all of that. So there's so much. We actually cut out quite a bit as we were going through our notes here. And you are going to want to check out our show notes because every song that we mention will either be linked or we'll just give you that song and the game directions as we go through. Just keep that in mind. You don't have to press pause and scribble things down and stick notation, although that's an awesome skill. But, you know, so show notes are going to be really great for this. And both Carrie and I have talked about how we really are embracing this idea of teaching rules and expectations through musical material mostly because that's that's organic right and that's we want our class time filled with music also because when you stand and deliver to kids and go hi kids i miss lejeune here's all the rules bam 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 that's not as effective they're going to space out they're going to like knee jerk wait i will rebel i see rules i rebel you know there's ways to make sure that we are creating community from the very beginning right yeah okay 
I also want to mention too that that this episode is is for our Kodai inspired friends who maybe took level one or even level two this last summer because there's always this this temptation to say, but I want to, as Tanya says, Kodai the world. I want to make sure that I am doing you know these music literacy things that I that I now know how to do with Kinder and First, but what do I do with my my second, third, fourth, and up kids? So this is kind of a way to sneak in some of those literacy skills with those older kids too. Um, without feeling like you have to make entire concept plans and entire sequences for for everybody, we're, we're going to give you some suggestions for that as well. Right. Yeah. And those of you who are might be listening who are not like specifically labeling yourself as Kodai inspired, maybe just Kodai curious. Um, <laughs> these, of course, a lot of this can apply to someone who is teaching with any specific framework in mind, Del Crows or music learning theory. Like these are things that um, a lot of these songs cross into these other, um, you know, methodologies, if we weren't going to use that word, which I'm not thrilled with that word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. So the words that we um, throw around, like uh, concept plans, PPP, sequencing, like those might be more mentioned in a Kodai setting, but you know, this is still something that anyone can get on board with if you teach elementary music. Totally. And if um, you want more after you listen to us talk for a while, more ideas, and you want to see this in a print form, one uh, resource that we can definitely recommend is a book titled Directions to Literacy, Teaching the Older Beginner, which is by Ann Eisen and Lamar Robertson, who um, are both Kodai-inspired educators. They authored the American Methodology book, which is very popular within Kodai courses. Um, it, this is a great book that really talks about specifically about literacy and sequencing. Um, I will say, you know, much of the ideas that we're going to talk about today do come from that book as far as the sequencing goes, although we're going to give you a lot of different literature. Um, their book does include a lot of different song literature than what we're going to talk about today. Their book also does come with a reproducible student worksheet packet. So you also have some worksheets ready to go that you can use with your older students as well. So um, we'll link to that in the show notes if you want to check that out and get a copy of that for yourself. Totally. And we are not being paid by no. Anne and Lamar. No. We just love their stuff. Sneaky snake publications. Yeah. So the first thing we want to talk about is creating a community of musicians through musical activities. And really what that means in my world and Tanya's world is steady beat because we really, as a, as a group of musicians, we have to feel the pulse to be able to stay together in our music making endeavors. So to not discredit just the importance of doing songs and activities that focus on the steady beat with older students. A lot of times we think that's a younger student thing and now we're good and we don't have to think about it again, but we know. So again, bringing in students who are new to our musical community, we need to, to practice that. So Tanya, what's one of your favorite go-tos for, for focusing on steady beat and pulse with older students? All right. Well, I just did this recently with fifth graders at, uh, with, with my fifth grade class who I think I know two of the students from last year, but other than that, they are completely new to me. And we did the song Aquaqua, um, which is a fantastic community beekeeping song it sounds like this a qua qua de la omar qua 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 del simo trico 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 tra valo 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 one two three four five 
And we will link to a video of how you play this, but it's one of those where you're sitting in a circle and your right hand goes over your neighbor's left hand and you're passing the beat. And you're also crossing the midline, which is one of those skills that we want in order to go to bard instruments. And um, it's just such a very important skill, but this is a community beekeeping thing. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, we'll give you the show notes. You'll see a quaqua and a little video of that. And the kids just love the game. You could, with anybody who gets out, they could go to an instrument. If you've already established like how we play instruments, how we don't play in between, you know, when we're singing the song, when we're not singing the song um, and that kind of thing. Or you could have kids go out and be in the middle of the circle. Once you have two kids there, they could also play the game. Or you could have kids who just sit out and watch everyone else, which I know, Carrie, you have done. And you say that the kids love to see who's going to get out finally. Yeah, right. yeah, just like usually the first time I play the game, we don't do anything fancy. You know, the kids just sit out and watch, and I encourage them to sing. Um, but then the second time, we need to do something now, or else they're going to get bored. And when kids mm-hmm. get bored, that's when shenanigans happen, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, yeah, Aquaqua is a really fun one for older kids. Um, I've never played that song and game with kids who dismissed it and thought it was beneath them. It's always been a huge hit. So it's one of my go-tos at the beginning of the year. I'm also going to put in a little plug for using popular music with older kids, as long as the lyrics are not problematic with like, you know, inappropriate language that they shouldn't be hearing um, in elementary school. But uh, that is a good way to get groups of kids, older kids and younger kids on board with um, collective beat keeping. First, they're following me. I'm the beat leader. And then we're following somebody else. And it does not have to be as simple as we're patting the beat on our legs. You can do body percussion where, all right, here's my legs, then shoulders, legs, then shoulders. And you always want want to also open it up to students and say, all right, who's got another pattern of two that you can show us? Oh, let's all copy Rachel's. Cool. Who else has got it? Who's got a pattern of four now that we could do keeping the steady beat? So those kind of things are really ways to get them all engaged with something as simple as keeping the steady beat, but um, something that they usually really enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. So give us another awesome steady beat song, Carrie. Yeah, so um, one that my older students love is Ye Toop Daram. Now, a little um, background of this song. This song has been, you know, taught in United States, you know, Orf Kodai workshops, and it's been passed down as a as a folk song from the Middle East, sometimes Afghanistan, sometimes uh, Iran, sometimes Iraq. I've heard all of those. Um, really, the research and, and the, the background is telling us it was just composed <laughs> here in the United States um, within either the Iranian-American or Afghan-American community. Um, and we can link to some, some background information if you want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, it's in the Farsi language, and it goes like this. Ye tup daram, tup daram, ye tup daram, tup daram. Ram ye tup da ram, tup da ram ye tup da ram, 
Tup doram, yek do se tanya lo bede. Kel kel kali ali alo bede. Kel kel kali ali alo bede. And then you can repeat that part if you need to. Kel kel kali ali alo bede. Kel kel kali ali alo bede. So um, the, the specific version that I am using for my source comes from uh, Susan Brumfield's First We Sing Songbook 2. That is the notation that I'm using for, for what I just sang. So anyways, um, the students are sitting in a circle and we are passing a ball, a playground ball to the steady beat. Um, and it's it's two like beats one and three really so when i play it i do not have them pass on every single beat so i'll snap where we pass yay toop da ram toop da ram yay toop da ram so we're feeling that really big pulse um once students are getting it you could maybe try to have them pass on each quarter note but i find my students are more successful on just beats one and three anyways when we get to the yek do se whoever's holding the ball we shout that student's name so tanya then tanya stands up and goes to the middle of the circle and now we play this fun little um not dodgeball but rolling the ball towards the students feet and you know how you exactly how you do this it's it's really up to you and how you want to do it I've done in the past where once their feet get tapped twice they're out and they they not out of the game but they have to sit back in the circle and we play it again so you're trying to roll the ball and have the ball hit on the feet. Don't throw it at them, <laughs> the student that's in the middle. Um, oh gosh, the students absolutely love this song and love this game. And so really, the, to me, the difference between like something like this and a quakwa is now we're extending this steady beat keeping to an object, which then of course leads later to instruments, right? That we're passing something with the beat, which, which forces us to use our hands and our brains in a different way. But yeah. yeah, really fun, great song for those older kids. They love it. Yeah. Oh, and I ne neglected to say that a Qua Qua, the song I was talking about, was um, collected by Rita Klinger uh, in Israel. Yes. And so um, there you go. There's a collection of Israeli songs by Rita Klinger that I'm, I don't think is in print right now. Um, yeah, yeah, it is on the Oak website. It oh, is. it is in print? Yeah. We'll okay. Do it. Yep. All right, cool. Yeah. We'll link to that. All right. Okay, so, um, you know, as Tanya mentioned earlier, there's also a need for, you know, making sure all of your musicians are on the same page as you as far as teaching those expectations how to do things how do we get from here to there how do we get this thing how do we put it away but we don't want to just do that like you said stand and deliver that's boring within isolation we want to practice these things within activities. So before I have students use instruments, often we're using things like I just mentioned, passing a bouncy ball around. Um, before I have students use drums, I often do the cup game. And you know, many of us know the cup game. A lot of the students still say, is this a thing from Pitch Perfect? Yeah, kids, it is, but it's been around a lot longer. So I think we've all seen different versions of the cup game. I'll just link to a, a great video of it if you're not familiar with it. Um, but the idea is the students are doing this pattern with a plastic cup in front of them 
they're they're matching the beat of the music, whatever music you choose. There's lots you can choose to do this with. But and I tell my students this, you are showing me that you are understanding how to respect and treat these materials with care so that now I can put a drum in front of you and you can treat that drum with care. So it's kind of their audition, so to speak. I tell them that this is your audition proving to me that you're ready tomorrow when we get out the tubanos or whatever it is we're going to be getting out. So that's one of my favorites with older kids. Plus, they just love the cup game. They just think it's so much fun. And there's lots of different music you can do with the cup game pattern. I like the fiaskern from, that's my favorite word of the day, shenanigans from the shenanigans recording of fiaskern um, because the beat starts slow and obviously it gets faster. And then oftentimes at Halloween time, I switch to In the Hall of the Mountain King and we do it within the Hall of the Mountain King. I know a lot of teachers like to do the cup game while the kids are also singing, which is another challenge. So like turn the glasses over is great because you're literally turning turning the glasses over while you're singing the song. Yes, um, but you're not so, drinking brandy wine. <laughs> no, well, you could, changing the lyrics or not, that'll be up to you. So anyways, there's, I know there's so many different ways to use this cup game and I'll just be sure to link to some good um, directions in the show notes because there's no way I'm going to be able to explain it on a podcast where you can't see me, so. Yes, <laughs> and uh, yeah, like, and like you mentioned, the cup game can go with so many, I mean, anything yeah, that is beat. basically in common time will work with the cup game. Yeah. Um, but it is a smart thing to have them do it with recorded music before you have them try to do it while they are singing, yes. because really that's part work oh, when they hard. are using. Yeah. And it's hard to do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk about expectations of finding partners. Oh yeah. Right. And one of the first experiences I do, and I do this with fourth and fifth grade, is I do this very favorite game that we see a lot this time of year called Sasha, right? Um, and it's Sasha is like a nickname for anyone named Alexander or Alexandra in Russia. And we get to count to three, and you can find this music for sure on Sana Longdin's, um, one of her recordings, I think it's one and a half. It might even be available on Spotify, but there is a participatory element when the kids say, Sasha, Sasha, Ras, Dva, Tri. And I have a small um, population of Russian students at my home school. And so this has been a really great way to also to kind of, ahead of time, I talk to them, but I kind of showcase them in class and I, you know, have pulled them aside and said, okay, when we're in class tomorrow, we're going to do a song called Sasha. And I want to make sure Miss Lejeune's not awesome with languages. I want to make sure I'm counting to three correctly. Is that how it goes? And they say, yes, yes. Oh, well, but will you be the one who tells us how to speak to th- count to three in Russian? So it, it gives, gives also uh, my Russian kids that little tiny little bit to be able to be the authority right? On counting to three. Uh, But with Sasha, the idea is that you have a partner during this A section and you do this hand clapping game with them. And then during the B section of the music, you're wandering around finding a new partner. So this is why I really like doing Sasha early on is because it's a wonderful mixer. The kids love it. And we have to find partners several times over during Mm -hmm. the entire recording of the song. So here's what we do. To find a partner, you go, you look and you go to someone. Maybe you know who your partner is right away. 
But the next time we have to find a partner, you can't be partners with the same person. It's got to be a completely new person. So if you're having trouble within a few seconds, we don't have time because the music is happening, right? This is our time to find a partner. Then you raise an arm and you look around for other people who are raising an arm and you go to that person and you are partners. You don't even need to say, we want to be partners. You just are right? So this we have to practice. And Sasha gives us that opportunity to practice it over and over again, because I don't know about you, but you'll see if you try this kind this little strategy, you'll see kids standing next to each other with their arms high in the air, but refusing to notice that the person next to them also needs a partner Mm -hmm. because they're trying to do this whole like, yeah, but I'm a boy and that's a girl and no way. So we talk about if someone asks to be your partner, the answer is yes. Does that mean that you have to hang out with them at lunch and recess? No, it's just a partner for a few seconds and we're respectful of each other and kind to each other. And if someone wants to be your partner and they're right there, if you don't already have a partner, the answer is yes. And they pretty much accept that. I haven't had any pushback on this. And when you do this with Sasha, like you don't have time because once that Sasha music comes back, you better be facing a partner or else, you know, you're not in the action. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that's one way to set expectations for finding a partner. So another thing that I expect in older grades and actually all grades is that at times there's going to be some solo singing and there's going to be some opportunities for kids to do things by themselves. Solo singing, solo playing, solo chanting, right? Because one of the things that we know from research and music education is that if kids are going to get better at doing things, they have to have independence by being asked to do things by themselves, right? So if you want somebody to really grow as a musician, they have to not always be hiding within the group, right? So this can be a very scary thing, especially when we're talking about older kids, when we uh, developmentally are in our heads about, oh no, how am I being perceived? You know, what is my idea of myself? Is that being broadcast to everybody else? Do I want that? Like, oh, I'm being seen. Like we know that these older kids, especially fifth graders, sixth graders, middle schoolers, they are feeling really uncomfortable with this whole idea of being in the spotlight, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you get those kids who are like, give me that spotlight, right? But more often we have kids who are reluctant to solo. So we got to approach this really with, I don't, I can't think of a better word, kid kid gloves, right? Mm -hmm. So I like to include solo singing in really tiny little ways. And by tiny, I mean like within two beats, maybe within two, four beats. So one of the easiest ways to get there is doing call and response songs. So I'm thinking of like, uh, take your partner by the hand. I'ma say, I'ma say. So the song I'ma say. Also a better known one is come through now hurry, come through now hurry, come through now hurry. And the response is Alabama gal. So once you know these songs, or the students know these songs and you've done them in class, it could be a really easy, quick, even, um, formative assessment, dare I say, that you have your microphone or your fake microphone or whatever it is. um, And you say, if I come up to you with the microphone, it's your job to sing the response, right? And you just go around the room, come through, now hurry, go to this kid, Alabama gal, and see what happens, right? 
Um, there's lots of little tiny solo opportunities within call and response, but also there's some call and response that are a little more complicated. And I'm thinking of the song Jump Shimador, which would have, is one of my favorites to do uh, at the very beginning of the year, which we'll link to. I'm not going to sing the whole thing, um, but it's a wonderful song from Brown Girl in the Ring. So, yeah, solo singing, being um, on the spot is something that I like to establish within our musical community from the very beginning of the school year. Yeah. This is what we do. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we do. We get used to it. Does that mean that everyone's going to be singing exactly the first time we do it? Absolutely not. It's okay. We don't stop. We just keep on rolling. I don't like shame anybody. Of course, we just keep on rolling. Okay, cool. Maybe next time. Yeah. All right. Maybe next time it'll be your singing voice. That's great. And this is where I want to put a plug in for, for my cue ball microphone. I got Yeah, I knew you are going to go there. I, I was mean, thinking, because, I hope she does. Yeah. I mean, with younger students, we talk about props through like things like puppets and like the plastic microphone and all that. The older kids, we need to think a little bit more age appropriate. So um, yeah, for, for my older kids, the cue ball microphone, which is one of those, it's a ball and it's a softball and it has a microphone inside. I don't bust it out all the time, but when I do... It definitely has encouraged kids to do solos and take solos who normally might not have. So um, I was pricey. thinking, yeah, yeah. It's like a hundred. It's, 100? I mean, yeah, it's a hundred something. Um, yeah, it's, but I got mine through a donor's twos project. So cool. think about something like that. Well, I was thinking for that, Carrie, like you could even establish once you bring that out, you could say this ball is only for solos. Yeah. Right? So it's something and, they look forward to. Yeah. So it's like, cool, we get the ball, but only solos happen with this ball. That's it. Yeah. 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 Just ways to encourage those kids. So Exactly. All right. So now we're going to transition into more the, the literacy concepts and the idea of, you know, taking time at the beginning of the year to review. And this is something that I talked about in the last podcast a, a bit, too, is um, intentionally planning out that review time, even with older students, especially for older students and especially this year, because we can't just jump into syncopa in fourth grade without ensuring that our students know ta, tt rest and everything that came before it. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to spend as much time on it. It doesn't mean you're going to do a full PPP. Obviously, you've kind of sort of already been there, done that, but we need to make sure that the kids are all there. They're all ready to go. Um, so even with older students, I do start with finding song material that highlights ta and tt first and going there first now of course the trick is finding age appropriate song literature we are not going to bring back bb bumblebee we are not going to bring <laughs> what back no bee puppets with the fifth graders yeah what? And honestly, even aside from the age appropriate thing, I need different song literature. They, I mean, it's like I, you can find songs that have ta and tt rhythms for older kids. The trick here is extracting and finding you know, sections of a song where maybe you're not looking at the entire song, you might just be pulling out specific parts of a song. So for Tan Titi, an example of this is the, the Japanese clapping game Omochi Yosuki Masho, Omochi Yosuki Masho, which is the, the rice pounding game talking about making the mochi ice cream balls, right? 
And I'll link again to all this in the show notes. It's a partner class. We have meeting. a video for this one. We do. It's of us doing a, a PD session at our in our own district. Um, the kids love this game. It's so much fun, and it's really just Ta and Titi the whole way through. But what I uh, what I specifically isolate for the kids is the last part that goes doom 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 because that's literally Titi Ta Titi Ta Titi 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 Ta. And there you go. You just read that one bit, and then you play the game and you're good but that's just like that little moment of just checking in and making sure they're clear on those ta ti ti rhythms before you move on to more challenging stuff awesome yes and then next in the sequence after ta and titi would be corner note rest right yeah so i can uh, put a plug in for a favorite song that i usually introduce in second grade but really we can rock this song um, with older grades is Rocky Mountain, mm -hmm. Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain, Rocky Mountain high. When you're on that Rocky Mountain, hang your head and cry. Do, 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 do remember me. Do, 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 do remember me. So as far as when we first introduced this song, uh, when I do it in second grade, we do a very simple hand clap during the do, 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 where we pat our legs, both clap, and then we pat a partner's hands with both hands, both hands clap, legs clap, both hands clap. But if we were doing with it with older grades, that pattern, that hand clapping pattern does not need to be that simple. You could definitely do legs clap, right clap, left clap, both clap, right? And you could scaffold that as needed for that as far as like introducing that. Um, another opportunity here for student voice is that kids in partners can come up with their own hand clapping. And you'll be amazed at what older kids will do for a like hand clapping game that could go along with that section. And I love to leave it to them because honestly, they're much more creative than I am mm -hmm. with that section of that. So as far as like selling the song, that goes a long way when they get to create their own pattern in talking about all of these like great it's great for melodic things it's great for rhythmic that if you are using a traditional concept plan with a preparation present a specific concept and then practice that concept that when you're working with older kids that preparation does not take as long and one of the beautiful things about this whole idea of the PPP or the concept plan is that you adjust it to the students that you are teaching, right? Yeah. So depending on their background, depending on where they're coming from, you have this wonderful like menu of, um, well, if we need more prep, we can do all these things. Within a concept plan, I don't do every single thing that is listed within my preparation. And most teachers I know don't, right? Yeah, but yeah, the beautiful yeah. thing is it's there if you need it. Like you might be tired of doing this specific physical preparation for um, Ray. And okay, I'm tired of doing that. And I don't think the kids are going to go for it. So you can you do a different thing on your that's already listed on your concept plan. But just know that, yeah, you can speed up that prep with older kids. They're able to grok that a little bit quicker than if you were using this um, in a second grade classroom, right? right? Especially if you've got fifth graders, you can teach me, Ray Doe in one fell swoop. Mm -hmm. You don't need to isolate 
all of those pitches. But, you know, that's there's a lot to that. Right. But just a little plug for don't think that you have to take the same amount of time to teach every single concept um, because they are older. Yeah. Yeah. And you can use less song literature, too, you know, in a typical concept plan, you know, in, in Kodai training, oftentimes we're suggested to have like five to seven songs for every concept. With older beginners, I'm thinking two. Yeah, <laughs> you know? two and or that, three. That mm-hmm. usually is going to do the trick. So and those double duty songs, too, which exactly. So much to that, isn't there, Carrie? Oh, yes, there is. So um, moving on in rhythmic land, next in my sequence would be doing um, like half note and whole note work. And there's lots of debate about where a whole note goes in, the, in a traditional Kodai-inspired classroom. Um, but with older beginners especially, I kind of lump them together. The thing about whole note and the half note is that finding authentic song literature for either of those sometimes can be challenging because mm. is it really a half note or is it really a ta rest, you know? Um, okay, can I challenge? you on something real quick oh yeah so how do you feel about altering something um let's talk about whole note because that's where it's going to come up most often okay. how do you feel about taking a song that maybe it was a dotted half note and you extended to a whole note do you feel like we shouldn't do that because the authentic version um isn't like that or are you cool with make it into a whole note I mean, I would rather not, to be honest. And then this is where I would say with older students that oftentimes I'm going to teach things like half note and whole note a little bit more theoretically than, you know, through song literature. Um, Or I look for song literature where the whole note really is as authentic as possible. So I'm thinking of like the song, I got a letter this morning. Oh, yes. I mean, those are like authentic whole notes, right? I mean, as as much as we can guess. So I guess I, I wouldn't necessarily do the whole, I'm just going to spin on a dotted half note thing, because why? Um, so for me, a lot of times half note and whole note with older kids is doing like flashcard games and, you know, poison pattern type games and, you know, those kind of things. And then just finding maybe one song that <laughs> we can at least right. enjoy it through singing. Um uh, are, what, do you want to answer that question for yourself before I move oh, on? Oh, no, I totally agree. I ask because I know that this is a thing that, I mean, I have, you know, seen teachers who were like, well, it's really supposed to be this, but we're going to use it for this pedagogical thing and ignore what the original, you know, I, it, it's. That defeats the whole purpose of finding song literature. I mean, the whole purpose of song literature is using it the way that it was passed down, at least in that particular context so i sure i, I totally agree point of that, so yes okay, and so, i hear you <laughs> here's an example so are you sleeping i mean i've seen this song are you sleeping aka for jaka sometimes it's written as ta 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 two there's your half note sometimes i've seen it as ta so i mean then you just have to make a pedagogical choice and for me i actually choose the one with ta and half note because to me that's a song that i don't sing in a very quick tempo because I want them when we're singing in a round to be able to hear the harmonies. So I actually do sing it at the slower tempo, which means I prefer the ta-ta two version. And mm-hmm. then the point is then our little chant, we always say, be consistent, be, be consistent. So yeah. every time my students see it, they're always going to see it in in its, you know, ta-ta two form, unless I was teaching a lesson about diminution, and then that's a whole nother thing. But um, so I like the song, Are You Sleeping, a.k.a 
for Jaco. I do use it younger, but I also bring it back older because the part work is so lovely. There's so much you can do with it. And I have to put out a, a little shout out to uh, one of my former Kodai students, Nicole, who um, in one of her teaching videos, I saw her do this really great. It's basically like heads up, seven up. So while the kids are singing, are you sleeping? Their heads are down while they're singing and their thumbs are up. And I just do this with four students, not seven. But while they're singing, those four students go and push down a thumb and those kids stand up and have to guess who it was. But my whole rule is you may only push down someone's thumb if they're actually singing. So that encourages Ooh. those older kids to be singing. And we do it in English. And we do it in French and we do it in Spanish. Um, but it's just, it's a great way to get kids kind of hooked back into that song because sometimes the older kids are kind of like, oh, that might be a babyish song. So that's a fun game to play with it to get them back. Can I add something to, to your game? Yeah. Well, because I traditionally play like a heads up, seven up with uh, rhythmic flashcards. Oh, okay. So I have like a kid has a flashcard and they go push down someone's thumb and then they come back to the front of the room and they ha hold their flashcard up. And when those kids stand up who have had their thumb pushed down, they don't say, oh, I think it was Carl who pushed down my thumb. They have to say the Carl's rhythm. So you could have flashcards oh. of the rhythm from the song well it wouldn't be too exciting you'd probably throw in some other ones too i can't think of seven different flashcards there wouldn't be seven different flashcards right. for are you sleeping but you could definitely like focus on half note i love and that so you Thank could you, add Tanya. that little bit i love that that's a great but idea. i've never done it while singing a song duh why yeah, do I do that? I, and yeah. I, I i gave credit to nicole because that's who i saw from and if she learned it from someone else thanks well, to that thank person you. you know um but yeah it's the the older kids i mean i played this with sixth grade and this was the most engaged my sixth graders were was while we were doing that game they loved it wow so. that's awesome yeah um and then moving on to ticka ticka so obviously you know in, in my world i don't do ticka ticka 16th notes until third grade so this is really a fourth grade and up review kind of moment um so many ticka ticka songs that you could use but one of my favorites i've talked about on this podcast a few times is uh dosi dos son cuatro which is a counting song in spanish um traced to mexico typically and um uh, there's, I don't think this is necessarily an inherent game, but this is how I play it, where I basically play it like a quaqua. So we sit in a circle and we pass the clap. Whoever gets the last one, they get to choose a number. And in the counting song, it's um, dos y dos son cuatro, two plus two is four, plus two more is six, and then uh, you end up with eight, and then eight and eight is 16. So you end up with 16. So I tell them they have to choose a number between two and 16. We count it out, then that student is out. And so I'll link to the notation. Um, I found it on the Holy Names University song collection page. Um, and then I just added that game to it. That game isn't necessarily inherent to the song. I think there's lots of different games you could play with this song, but that's just one that my students like to play. But I like this song because the ticka ticka is ticka 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 ta ticka 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 ta which already is inherently a little more challenging for older students having two ticka tickas in a row. Typically, yeah. we teach ticka ticka just one ticka ticka somewhere like in Tidio or something like that. So already that's providing a little extra challenge for the kids to have the two in a row, which I like. Awesome. Yeah. You know what? You keep mentioning this one. And I, every time you do, I'm like, I've got to do that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a fun one. Yeah. So I have to go and, and really do that because we are in ticka ticka land right now in third grade. So yeah. I would like to add that. Yeah. Awesome. That'd be great. 
All right, well, we are now going to just move on to melodic sequence, and um, Tanya kind of already alluded to this, but this is where, with older beginners, you would definitely want to alter your sequence, meaning with older beginners, you're not going to want to do a bunch of so-me songs or so-me-la songs. Um, typically suggested, and as in suggested in Anne Lamar's book that we mentioned earlier, is to start with Do-Re-Mi, because for older students, that just is going to be more suitable to the song literature it's going to suit their voices so many things about it and we know some people out there start with do re mi from the beginning so right well you, and I, you're already there but i'd like for- to put a plug just real quick um because i know carrie and i both when we're talking about younger students we do follow a traditional kodai sequence of yeah. so me la with younger students and one of the main reasons for that is in tune singing happens better with that minor third of so me um and then you add that law that those are those are the first three pitches that are sung better in tune for students who are developing their ear developing their voices but once you get to those older kids yeah you do re mi but honestly it's mi re do because we have so many songs within our culture that are mi re do and yes. within even pop music we can find a bunch of mi re dos so yeah, yeah i am a big fan of do re mi mi re do in older kids but with younger kids it's interesting because i i know that in the fire robin sequence for example that's a, a mi re do from the get-go, even with little kids. I understand theoretically, but um, authentically, I've never heard it in tune with younger kids, with kids who have started on mi re do. Yeah, I but. haven't seen a great example of it myself. So I'm sticking with so and me. For the exactly. Year. But let's keep on mi re doing or do re yeah. mean. Oh, oh, that's me. But yeah, I'm so going to talk, about, talk some... about some of your favorites, Tanya. <laughs> do, do, pity my case in some lady's garden. My clothes to wash when I get home in some lady's garden. So that's a melodically rich song that we can add some text improvisation to um, or not even improvisation, but say, OK, kids, what is something that you don't want to do once you get home? Like, <laughs> so what, what are you going to do? Like my cat to feed when I get home in some lady's garden. So that's kind of my way at getting at what's interesting and different about this song, right? Mm-hmm. Is that text improvisation because you can eventually put kids on the spot and like, okay, it's your solo when you come to this and they will sing it and make it up on the spot. Or you could actually, and I've done this as well, write out a list of things and brainstorm as a class. This also gives ownership to the song, right? Sure. Um, but then we can focus musically on that me, me, re, 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 do, right? In some mm-hmm. lady's garden, where you could even change instead of singing do, do, pity my case, they sing the solfa, right? Yeah. So this is a really fast track to me, re, doing is mm-hmm. do, do, pity my case. So many things that you can also add instruments, all of that. We can talk more about that later. Um, but also we can extract for, from our old sow is getting very fat, kai mo komo kimo, where you've got that do, re, mi, do, re, re, which is very unique because we don't always emphasize the re yeah. and a little more tasty for those older kids. Yeah. And, and there's a very resolves, fun game. The, the second phrase resolves with do, yes. re, mi, 
Exactly. And so this is where you can, you can even introduce this song by saying, okay, here's my first phrase. Uh, Here's my second phrase. The text, the lyrics, they're the same. Are they completely the same? And then what's different, right? So you can really zone in on that do, re, mi ending up on do. You could take this into talking about cadences or talking about things ending on do. Do is home base. Could this even launch you into this whole idea of do being the tonic, do being the home key? Sure, if you want to go there, if they're ready for that right then. Yeah, yeah. you could definitely do that. But really, our old style uh, in my world, it's all been about the game because there's a chase game. Um, we will link, yeah. I know I've got a video of my own kids or actually we've got a video of Kodai grownups playing this game. <laughs> Do we? Oh yeah. It's, oh, it's I love a lot it. of fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, and that's a great outside game too. So oh, yes. beginning of the year. Um, and then again, talking about double duty, then you can bring it back later for, for Tom T if, if you're doing it in the augmented form, Tom T T T T right. Tom T T or Tim Ka, if you're doing it in the diminution form, I'm getting really specific here, but I've seen it written both ways. Um, now, this is where I, I differ a little from Anne and Lamar in, in the, the book Directions to Literacy. They talk about doing mi re do and then moving into lo la lo so. I do see how for older students that could be tasty and juicy because you get to sing some of those lower things. I personally think from a theoretical point of view that students... I, I like them to understand the function of so and la within the traditional pentatone before I take them to the extended. I just don't want to convolute that. So I, I like to extend it up then to so and la above um, mi re do. So one of my favorites for this is Kingsland, and there's lots of you know different versions of it, but the one I use again is in the one of the Susan Brumfield songs. I'm on the Kingsland, the king is not at home. He's gone to Boston to buy his wife a comb. So it's so la mi and do. And while that tone set might seem a little bit childlike, um, the the game is what's fun. I play it like a freeze game. So I typically do this, you know, even third and, and fourth graders. I've had fifth graders ask for it for sure because it's one of their favorites but i just hit a wood block and they have to freeze and the king so to speak turns around quickly and whoever's moving gets thrown in the dungeon which means they just have to sit down and they're out but yeah. right for the so so la so me me so 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 la so and the dough doesn't come in till the end um so that's one of my favorites for so and la and then after that, then I moved down into Loso and Lola. And Tanya and I were talking about how with older kids, song literature really drives, you know, a lot of times the sequence that you do. It should drive the sequence you do. And with older kids, and again, in pop music, so much of our music is based on Do and then Loso from a harmonic function of one chord, five chord. So doing Loso before Lola with older students is something to consider considered not something I do in my traditional sequence. In my traditional sequence, I do low la and then low so. But perhaps with older kids, you might want to flip it. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorites for low so is draw a bucket of water, do so. So there's an example of going straight from do to low so, which even though that's a leap vocally, older students can probably vocally handle that if they've been giving all these rich melodic experiences leading up to it. And the game is really fun. Now, this is not one I'm playing during 
during COVID times, unfortunately, um, just because it does, it requires making that basket weave formation um, and getting really close in a small group of four. We'll, we'll link to a game in the show notes. Um, but when things are 100% safe, this is one I hope to get back to. Yeah, we need an alternate game for Draw Me a Bucket of Water. I need to think about that. Yes, <laughs> the song is great, but the I song know. really is related to the game. I mean, I don't I don't see the song making sense outside of the game. So I don't know. Yeah. I would have to be really clever. But there's so many other low so opportunities. I feel like maybe it's okay to let that go for now and do it. Yeah. Things. Yeah. So um in the realm of so low so and low la, um, and this is another double duty song is Hilling Gully Rider is a calm response. And I primarily bring this out for Cinco Pata rest. Uh, and the song is Hill and Gully Rider, Hill and Gully, Hill and Gully Rider, Hill and Gully, took my horse and come down Hill and Gully. But in addition to that Cinco Pata, melodically on the call, we've got do re mi do la so do 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 re mi do la so over and over and over and over again so that's a really nice one to bring out because you've got that low so and low la and with hill and gully rider um i love to bring out uh the bard instruments the orf instruments and just take off i take off bars even for the big kids for this song because it's one of our first beginning of the year, here we are on instruments again. Um, and we're just playing uh, a do and so with the mallets on the response. So they are going hill and gully and they're singing it while they play it. It's all on, as far as their singing goes, it's all on do. So, you know, it's, it's easier to sing that bit and play at the same time. And they're not playing the entire time. And they're also physically getting that cinco pata, right? So there's lots of way directions you can go with hill and gully rider but if i was using it specifically for low la and low so i might do that in the beginning but then i would turn it into like now we're really reading it like on a staff yeah. but well probably first on a tone ladder and then on the staff right yeah. and and you can go so many directions when we're talking about melodic um things something that we hadn't mentioned is that with older kids, you can connect it to the staff quicker. Yes, yes. Thank you for mentioning that. Then, like it, when we when we're talking about younger students, you might start with a with a one line staff, and then maybe even a two line staff and a three line staff. And then, if you want to be very intentional with younger students and get them melodically reading on a five line staff, you don't throw them a five line staff. You really scaffold all the way through so that they have that understanding of okay so and me are this far apart and it's really about the relationship between pitches and then we're putting on the staff and you really do have to step that step them through that learning but with older kids you can give them here's five lines maybe we write in that this line is dough, right? And mm -hmm. I have straight up just said, okay, here is dough and we're using many erasers or whatever you wanna use on a five line staff. And let's just do, you know, two minutes tops of um, here's your dough, put your little pumpkin on dough. And I want to see, can you show me where me would be? And we count up to it. Mm -hmm. All right. So maybe we don't know like all these other solfa specifically, but they they see it above my board. They've heard do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, right? So we can 
just get them on a five line staff quicker. And then here is also your opportunity to go into ledger lines, right? Mm -hmm. To talk about the grand staff and that stuff you can really bring in a lot quicker. I wouldn't do it in one class period by any means, but (laughs) oh gosh, no. Yeah. So, um, but you want them to understand it just like in any, you know, learning melodically, you want them to be able to sing it and to express it physically with hand signs or whatever you're using before you put it on the staff, which brings in um, including instruments. So if we're really really getting these melodies in our heads, um, we can use instruments to bring that out. And also in, we can bring this out also in music that does not have a low so or a low la. I'm really thinking about low so. You can do lots of bordoon patterns with do and then so on top or do and then so below mm-hmm. where they're just playing. So I'm thinking of here comes Mrs. Macaroni riding on her snow white pony. So you could first have kids sing an ostinato of do, do, so, so, do, while everybody else is singing here comes Mrs. Macaroni. And then you put them on instruments where they're playing do, do so so do so they get that melodic sound in their ears but then they also see this and feel this on the instrument and so you're you know you're covering so many modalities of being able to understand this so below do 100 percent. yeah bringing in part work and instrumental experiences just much quicker than you would much quicker at a younger grade And then I just want to just kind of wrap it up by saying that, um, you know, this takes time. And this year, especially, I am taking even more time than I normally would. You know, at one of my schools, I would say a third of my students were chose online learning last year and everything was asynchronous and it wasn't, you know, my typical quote unquote Kodai inspired, you know, sequence stuff they were doing. Um, So reintroducing those students back into literacy and these things, I'm really planning on spending I mean, almost the first third of the year, making sure everyone is caught up and I'm not really going to start introducing anything new until October into November. Are you kind of there as well, Tanya, or do you feel oh, like- Oh, for sure. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because what what you do, what you do on your own in your own planning before you see children changes oh, <laughs> once yeah. you see those children in person, because I get these ideas in my head that like, we can just zoom through this and then we can go there and we can go there. And then here's my year plan. And then I get with the actual children who really drive everything because that's how it should be when you're teaching real people in the room. Um, And then I go, oh, you know what? I think we need to spend more time on this. And you don't know that until you are teaching and you're trying to zoom ahead and they're like, not not participating or not getting it, or you have to break things down even more. So yeah, after my first week of teaching, pretty much, I went back and I went, okay, I'm going to push this uh, two weeks later. And I push this thing three weeks later. And I know you've heard this, everybody listening, but let's get over this idea of, oh, I need to get everybody back on track. It's not about that, right? Decide what is most important in your music room. I'm going to guess if you're listening, especially if you're listening to, you know, these long, <laughs> when we when we talk and talk about one thing that you probably have decided that you want students to love music and to love being musical themselves. And that's primarily like the main goal. Music literacy is awesome, you know? Yeah. But 
if it doesn't happen in exactly the timeline that you see written in an American methodology, uh, your plans, is that going to break your heart? It shouldn't. We are where we are. Let's just keep making music, having fun with children, getting them to love music. That's what's most important. And I'm also, I'm preaching to myself, let go of this idea that they need to be at this spot by this date. Right. Let it go. Yep. So we are bringing back a segment um, that we call No Better, Do Better, as inspired by the famous Maya Angelou quote, um, where we, we're reevaluating practices, sometimes repertoires, sometimes more just things that we do in our classroom to be more culturally responsive um, and, yeah, just more aware of, of our of our actions and their implications on our students. So with that said, Tanya, what do you want to talk about today? Well, Carrie, um, yeah, originally I was going to zone in on a specific song from this now famous Lauren McDougall list of problematic songs and why we should or should not um, and all of that. But we really want to get back to this idea that it's not just about the repertoire that you're doing in your room. It's also about the practices and being culturally responsive and Oh, if you want to think, talk about culturally responsive teaching, you can go back in this past summer, we discussed in our book club, culturally responsive teaching um, in music education. And that is a juicy book that can really give you lots of ideas and you can listen to those episodes and all of that. But so I really wanted to zone in on specific practices being that it's the beginning of the year and we need to set up expectations and quote rules in the music room. If you haven't already done this, or even if you're in the process of doing this, I, you really should be thinking about how do you want to communicate the expectations and the community and the climate of your music community with every single one of your classes. And we teach a lot of classes. I know I've got Oh my goodness. How many do I have, Carrie? Do I have like 18? Something like I have that? 18. You probably yeah, have. I have 18. Okay. Um, so yeah, that means that with 18 different music communities, they're not going to be all exactly the same. They're going to have a lot of the same um, guidelines. But one thing that I'm committed to this year is that I want to set norms rather than give rules, right? Yeah. I want to have an inclusive community of musicians rather than a I'm leading you and I am on high. Yes, of course, I am the teacher in the room and I'm going to be leading for the most part, but I want students to have ownership of everything that happens in the music room. And so this might or is will mean that we're going to have class discussions on expectations so that it comes from students and using and that we're using student language rather than me standing up in front of them saying, everybody, look at these rules posted on the wall. Let's read rule number one in unison. That's the opposite of what I want to do. And I know that Kodai inspired teachers often get a bad rap for being teacher centered. Right. And I know that there are old school videos that we can even find where we see extremely teacher centered Kodai inspired classrooms. Here's the thing. 
it doesn't have to be that way. We can still live within Kodai's principles and, you know, main ideas without it being teacher centered. So does this mean that you might have to have uh, this class discussion 18 times? Yeah, it does. I mean, the, here is how I'm going to be going about it. I'm going to have um, a scribe in class, or I mean, if it's very young kids with kindergarten, it'll be me, but I'm going to have this conversation with students about what do we want things to look like in here? What do we need to do to make sure that we are working together and not against each other? What do we think about respect and all of, you know, what do we, we how are we going to do this? How is it going to look like in our music room? Right. So that's a little trickier. It's not clean. It's not like here's five minutes of me talking about rules and then we're done. But I think the buy in from students, the community making and being inclusive of all students is really worth this extra time that we could be spending setting that up. And here's what else it's not it's not buying a set of rules off TPT that you print, laminate, and put on your walls. I'm sorry. What? What? Um, I don't have any quote-unquote rules posted on my wall at all the first day of school because my students and I collaboratively, collaboratively create them. Now, do I kind of end up steering the ship and do they kind of end up being consistent between classes? Of course. But the students... I want them to understand that I'm listening to them and I truly am and that they're not walking into, like you said, prescribed rules on the wall. They are, mm -hmm. they're creating them. So I'm sorry. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to knock other people in the work that they do, but when I see prescribed rules on TPT that you can buy and post on your walls, I cringe a little bit at that because that's not a culturally responsive classroom in my opinion. Oh, and now we have a wonderful um, work smarter, not harder teacher tip from Carrie. What you got? Yeah. Okay. So this is um, back to school themed. You know, we have a lot of kids and we have to learn a lot of names and obviously learning names and learning how to say them correctly is extremely important. I'm not discounting that at all, but we know it also just takes a little time. So while you're learning your students' names, especially if they're new to you, new to your school and you're wearing masks and oh my gosh, that just provides all that challenges. Um, I just want to talk about the power of, uh-oh. <laughs> so I noticed this is something I just started doing and I didn't even realize I was doing it. Um, with my especially with my primary students that if I see a kid who starts oh let's say wandering away from the circle or oh maybe they're interested in going and touching that drum they're not supposed to touch and if I don't know their name and I'm not able to redirect them and I can't get physically close to them my immediate first thing that I do is I just go uh oh <laughs> and I don't yell it I just say it like that uh oh and they all stop and they look at me because they don't know who I'm talking to and they don't know what I'm talking about it's kind of like the whistle at the pool right the lifeguard <laughs> does the two little tweets tweet tweet and everyone stops and looks and it's like was it me what did I do but um I try to make it cute and fun and I just go uh oh and I'm like oh back here please and then the student will come back or whatever but um it's just been my way of redirecting students without yelling um without doing anything that's too loud or too too scary but if I don't know their name and I'm not physically close to them a quick uh oh is really coming in handy Yes, my husband loves it and uses it as as art, the art teacher. He uses it all the time with great effect. Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
So now it's time to talk about our CODA section. These are things that we're enjoying either in or out of the music classroom. Uh, so Tanya, what would you like to recommend today? All right. Well, I know this seems kind of counterintuitive <laughs> because we were just talking about not, you know, being dedicated to um, an exact timeline of everything. But I'm going to recommend a digital lesson planner and teacher calendar. And um, I will tell you, I have fought with myself for the past few years on whether to stay paper planner. Um, and I'm not fancy paper planner. I'm like old school, like write it in a three, not a, even a three ring binder, but like a, a, a spiral that is often provided by the school. Yes. One of those and adapting it to my needs and doing it by hand and using colored. When I first started teaching was using colored pens and all that stuff to color code by grade level. But now here's the thing. I need things digitally because I mess up or I don't like seeing big things crossed out, like we were just talking about. If those third graders are not ready for Ticka Ticka at the end of next week, then I want to be able to move that and, and have it be easy and still lovely. So um, I just broke down and got a digital lesson planner and teacher calendar by not a music teacher, but some um, woman who, a teacher who goes by a primary kind of life. Um, she's awesome to follow on Instagram. So many awesome tech tips she gives that I've been using, uh, especially since we went down in the pandemic times, which we're still in. But so this digital lesson planner and monthly calendar, it's all on Google. Because what I was going to do is I was going to sit down and figure out how to build all these awesome things within Google with tabs. And then I said, wait a minute, I've seen this before. I'd rather throw money on it at it than make it myself. Right. Yeah. So it's great. Um, if you do want to have stickers of succulents, you could do that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I've been able to like, just edit it to my heart's content. I like to do um, color coding for grade levels. That's for me, not for kids, but just, I can look at a glance and go third grade orange is doing this right now, whatever. So it's been very handy. You can also link things, you know, your, you can link to your Google slideshows for specific lessons. Um, I've, she has a little to-do list on the side that, you know, you can check boxes and things get crossed off and it's all the magic of Google and somebody else planned it out for me. So I, I'm loving it. And we'll put a link in there for teacher and it's a teacher pay teachers product. One that I think has, is definitely worth the $18, which sounds like a lot until you realize that if you were doing, you know, your Aaron Con Contran, Aaron Anyway, some of those fancy um, hard copy oh, paper things, planners, yeah. the paper planners. Yeah. So, I mean, cause this also, she revises every year. So next year I don't have to buy it again. I just get her new calendars and oh, nice. download it all over again. So I'm thrilled. I'm loving it. We'll put a link. Cool. Yeah. So how about you, Gary? Oh, I'm going to go totally in a different direction and I'm going to recommend um, something for fun that I enjoyed watching on Netflix is, um, guess what? True crime show. Um, it's actually based off a podcast. It's called Dirty John. And the interesting thing is I listened to the podcast, Dirty John season one, and but I haven't watched the Netflix season one. I skipped straight to Netflix season two, which um, tells the story of Betty Broderick, who was... Um, not a great person <laughs> did some things that were not so great 
Um, but um, she's played by an actress, Amanda Peet, and who was just fantastic in this show. So, um, anyways, if you if you like all things true crime like me, um, maybe check out Dirty John, specifically season two. Now I'm going to go back and watch season one. Um, but it's just a great show. I just think they did a really great job telling the story, which is sad on many accounts, um, but just very interesting. So, yeah, for you true crime people, Dirty John on Good Netflix. Times. We've reached the double bar line. Thank you for listening to Music Teacher Coffee Talk. Show notes can be found at musicteachercoffeetalkpodcast.com. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Music Teacher Coffee Talk. If you enjoyed this show, please consider subscribing, rating, and leaving us a review on iTunes to help others find this podcast. In our next episode, we'll be starting a new series where we are directing our conversation towards specific groups of teachers. However, all are still welcome and encouraged to listen for new ideas and inspiration. Our first episode in this series will be aimed towards new teachers, typically first and second year teachers, who are still very new to the classroom of music teaching and the career of music teaching. Until next time, this is Tanya. And this is Carrie wishing you happy musicking.